0: listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, Bethelbible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to look at one of the Uh, most beloved experiences that you have in the New Testament. It's something that is often preached at funerals. It is an Easter passage. It is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And very fitting if you didn't realize that last Thursday was Valentine's Day, the made-up holiday of celebration of love, to get into your pocketbooks a little bit more. So I remember 25 years ago, Marla and I were going through premarital counseling. And uh, I never should have agreed to let my dad do that. I'm sorry, Marla. That was awkward on so many levels. And children, I promise, when it comes time, I will find you someone else to do your premarital counseling. But we read a book that you might have read called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And it was this idea that there are these expressions of love, words of affirmation. Acts of service, gifts, quality time, and physical touch. And what happens is you look at these, and there's many ways that you could go about this. Some like to give gifts, that's how they show love, that's how they like to receive love. For me, I'm an acts of service guy. That's just how God has created me. And my wife is an off-the-chart quality time. And so often we had to learn that often these things don't really coincide with each other. Because for me, I think I'm doing a good thing. I'm showing love by doing things like loading or unloading the dishwasher, taking and cleaning her car, even running to the store. And she's looking at me going, why can't you just stay home? Because for her, she would love to sit and talk. She would like to go for a walk. And we had to realize that how these can compete, but trying to figure out how they work together. Well, this morning, we're going to see two expressions of love that when I would say them seem like they are total opposites, that they actually stand against this word. But in fact, they're incredible expressions of love. Take us a little while to get there because we have 44 verses that hopefully we will make it through this morning. So let's begin in John chapter 11. And as you're finding that, So last week, we closed up chapter 10, and it's a major transition in John's gospel. It's what it does. It kind of closes up Jesus' public ministry with chapter 10. It began with the testimony of John the Baptist, and it ends with his testimony. Where you'll see Jesus now is in smaller, private settings, and we also find one today. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So, a couple of things John wants to make sure we know is Lazarus is very sick. He said it twice that, in fact, it means that he is gravely ill. So, they're in Bethany, it's only about two miles east of Jerusalem, but Jesus is all the way over by the Jordan, a day's travel. But then you realize you have Mary and Martha. Now Mary is the one that you read about It just told us that she anoints Jesus' feet with this very expensive oil, but you don't see that until chapter 12. But Mary and Martha are very different. And I love that the Gospels, they don't change either one of them. They show them who they are exactly as they are. So Mary... She's the thinker. She's the contemplator. Martha's my kind of girl. She's the doer. She just likes to do things. And Mary wants to sit. She wants to listen. And she is a quality time person. But Martha, she's like me. She's an acts of service. and You know, but one is not better than the other. Jesus doesn't love one more than the other. They leave them just as they are because that's how God created them. So what they're going to do, their brother Lazarus is gravely ill. So they're going to send word to their friend Jesus in verse 3. So the sister sent to him, they're going to send a messenger with the word saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And this is that word that phileo, love. it's that brotherly type of love that they have with Jesus and Jesus has a very personal relationship with this three. In fact, you read through the gospels, Jesus liked being in their home. He it was a place he could take his sandals off, he could relax. And Mary and Martha are going to send word that Lazarus is ill. But they never do something, they never ask Jesus to come. That's very strange that their brother is gravely sick. Jesus is their only hope you're going to see. But notice they never ask Jesus to come there. Well, I believe it's because they didn't feel like they had to, that their relationship with Jesus was close. It was personal that when he heard, they had no doubt that he would come right away. Man, I hope you have friends like that. Man, when I fell off the ladder... Man, I had people that were always, you know, almost beat me to the hospital that I hope you have friends like that that no matter what is happening, when they hear you're in need, they drop whatever they're doing and they're coming to see if they can help. You know, that's why our small groups, our men's and women's Bible study and life groups are so important to build these relationships that you have people that when word gets out that you're in need will come and to meet those needs. Well, then you see... And uh, thinking back, because Jesus is going to tell us kind of what's happening here. Remember back to the blind man, that the questioning, why did this happen? Why was this man, when well, he sinned? his parents' sin, and Jesus tells them in John 9, 3, that it's that the works of God might dis, be displayed. That he's going to do something. He's going to communicate who God is. Well, God used that man's blindness, and notice the same reason for Lazarus' sickness. In verse 4 it tells us, but when Jesus heard this illness, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God, meaning himself, may be glorified through it. So Jesus is setting the stage to do something remarkable. He is going to display who he is. In fact, when he's going to do this, you'll see that Jesus wants to show who he is really is. So what is that exactly? Well, you're about to see one of the greatest displays of Jesus, how he can be 100% man and 100% God at the same time. He's going to have his deity and his humanity on full display this morning, and you're going to see them both in two different interactions. So continuing in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So twice now, John has told us of his love for them. He wants to make sure that you understand what you're about to read is because of love. But this is the different word. This is the agape love. This is the unstoppable, the the self-sacrificing, the highest type of love, the, the love of God that they have. Now, knowing this, this is what you would probably expect to read. Our brother Lazarus, the one you love, you love us, is ill. That Jesus is going to drop whatever he's doing. He's going to find a horse, and he's going to ride as fast as he can to get there. But notice what happens in verse 6. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he loves. So because he loves, he waits But doesn't that feel like the opposite of what our picture of love really would be? I wonder if you've ever experienced that, where things happen that cause you to question, man, does God really love me? Truth is, there will be things that God allows that will happen in your life and in my life that will cause you to question God's love. It's happened in my life. It probably will happen again, and when things happen when God delays removing the pain that we have prayed over and over, or the struggle or the illness for him to remove it. well, Sometimes we can't know all the details. We do not know all the answers. We do not know all the reasons. But here's the truth that John is painting for us. His delays, they're not lack of love. In fact, nothing happens in our lives without Purpose, Whether it is sorrow or sickness or death, nothing happens that God does not permit for a reason. It doesn't matter whether it's an impossible boss, loveless marriage, a wayward child, crushing bills, or a dysfunctional family. His delays are never a lack of his love. Because in fact, Scripture just tells us because he loves, sometimes he delays. And it means that he's got a greater purpose. Because think about what it meant for them. It says, after two days, which means now it's been three. And this is going to be important. One day travel for the news. And then he spends two days there. And this, Jesus finally gets to the place after these days. He says, okay, it's time to go to Judea. And look, it terrifies the disciples. It says in verse 7, when after this, he said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going again? That Jesus says, hey, let's go on over. It's time to move to the west. It's time to cross back over. And the disciples are saying, Jesus, are you out of your mind? This is a death wish. But notice Jesus' response. In verse 9, he answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. John's favorite image of Jesus. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And here's what he's saying. That as long as he is following God's plan, no harm will come to him until the appointed time. And he's saying, if you're with me, don't let anything scare you, not even death. Because of him who holds us. then he goes on. In verse 11, after saying these things he said to them, our friend Lazarus, he's fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. But Jesus had spoken of his death that he thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let's go to him. So hone in on verse 11, notice what he's doing, he says, our friend, he wants him to know, you're included in this, this is a man that we all love, but then he says, I, I go to awaken him that Jesus is about to do something that only he can do, and he will display who he is. But then he makes the big announcement. Lazarus, he's dead. And Jesus knows this, and he's actually waiting for this to happen. But notice what one of the disciples says. In verse 16, Lazarus, or so Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And there's a lot of discussion on what Thomas is doing here because this is the same Thomas in John 20. When you see after Jesus' resurrection, he's going to say, I don't believe it. Not until I get to touch the wounds, the scars, and I get to see him, I am not going to believe. And he gets the nickname, the Doubting Thomas. So is this a sincere kind of proclamation of faith? Well, I think he's being a lot like our Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh. He's just saying, well, I guess let's go on and die then. But notice Jesus doesn't even recognize that Thomas said anything. But here's what I want want us to see, that Jesus is going to respond in three very different and very powerful ways to people around him. Get ready, write these down. They're going to be important for us later. Because in verse 17, he says, Now Jesus came and he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And that's significant. You see, it was a popular Jewish tradition that the Spirit would hover over the body for three days. As soon as the body on the fourth day began to decompose, that is when the Spirit would leave them and they were beyond all hope. So Jesus is waiting until there is no answer For what he is about to do. It says in verse 18. "But Bethany near Jerusalem. About two miles off. And many of the Jews. Had come to Martha and Mary. To console them. Concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out to meet with him. But Mary remained seated. In the house. So Martha. She goes to see Jesus. Even before he gets there. And this is what she says. In verse 21. Martha said to, to Jesus. Lord. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God, He will give you. So she's basically saying, Jesus, you're too late. But notice the battle going on inside this woman. She believes that Jesus could have saved her brother without a shadow of a doubt, but He didn't. I think she feels let down, I think she feels disappointed. But then she acknowledges a truth about Jesus that he's been trying to get people to see for months and years. And it's that close relationship that he has with the Father. That whatever you would say, whatever you would ask, I know he will do. But notice the one thing missing. She does not ask Jesus to raise her brother from the dead. Because she's asking Jesus, where were you when I needed you? I mean, have you ever felt that way? You've ever wondered, where were you when my loved one died? I mean, where were you, Lord, when my marriage was in trouble? Or where were you when my parents divorced? Where were you when my friend became an alcoholic? Or where were you when I lost my job? Where were you when my child went astray? And I think these are honest questions. And so notice Jesus' response to Martha. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So he doesn't rebuke her. He gives her hope. So I don't think it's sinful to tell God how we feel. The feelings may not be right, but they are feelings that need to be brought honestly before God. So Martha responds and Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she believes in this future resurrection that's going to happen, but what she doesn't realize is that her Lord is talking about the here and now. And then in verse 25, he said to her something very important. Follow these words closely. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die yet, shall he live. And anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? So notice he says, I am the resurrection. He doesn't say, I can resurrect people. He says, I am the resurrection to show them that their hope and our hope is not in some event, it's in a person. So Jesus' first response that we need to see today, he responds with a truth about himself. He responds to her questions, her confusion, her disappointment with the truth about his deity. That he is God and he can do things that no one else can. That there is no hope of a resurrection outside of Jesus. So he asked Martha, do you believe? And look at her declaration. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So the first response, he responds with truth of his deity, something that only he can do. But then look at the second response. It is drastically different. In verse 28, when she heard this, she went and called her sister Mary, the thinker, the contemplator, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, thinking or supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. But now when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, Lord. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you notice? It is the exact same words. But Jesus is going to respond very differently. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come to her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And when he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see And Jesus wept. You know what you see? Jesus enters in to Mary's sorrow. That his second response is this strong emotion from himself. And you know what you see? You see his humanity. That not only can he raise someone back from the dead, that he has real human emotions. And he enters in to her sorrow. So, you got Mary, the logical, the doer, that acts of service person. You know what she needed? She needed to be reminded of the truth of who Jesus is. But Mary, the compassionate, the listener, the quality time person, she needed to be held by the emotions of Jesus. Two very different responses. But notice the emotions going on in Jesus. In verse 33, something you need to underline, you need to highlight. It says he was deeply moved, because we're going to talk about that, and greatly troubled. And we're about to see what those mean in the third response. In verse 36, he says, So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he had opened? The eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying. And Jesus deeply moved and notice there that word is again. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay against it. So the picture is some people are scoffing at him saying, man, if he could heal a blind man, why can't he raise Lazarus back from the dead? And I believe I picture Jesus saying, just wait, just hold on. And notice we get the same description of Jesus in verse 33 that you get in verse 38. It says he was deeply moved. So you need to learn a simple Greek word here this morning because it is so powerful. It's the word, the Greek word, which means embryomos or embryos. And it's this idea, it's a strange picture. It's the picture of a snorting warhorse. It means to be angered. It's a horse, if you've ever seen them on TV or something, where they're just seething with anger. I mean, it's like a fighter that is in a ring standing across from his opponent that he just has such a hatred for. His his fists are clenched, his biting his teeth, and he's just seething with anger. Well, Jesus, that means that he is furious with anger. But we have to go, what is Jesus angry at? Is he angry at Martha? I don't think so. I mean, Mary? It can't be. He can't be mad at Lazarus. Lazarus has done nothing. Maybe angry at the Jews? I don't think so. Because look at the scene in verse 38. Then Jesus Deeply moved again, meaning furious, seething with anger, came to the tomb. And it was a cave and a stone lay against it. So Jesus, he is with this anger welling up in him. He arrives at the tomb. Even with his grief, there is this towering anger over Jesus. Jesus. Because Jesus knows that the world is not as it should be. It's not as he created it. The world that he created is now controlled by sin and death. And I think John is painting a picture here that Jesus is approaching this tomb like a battle. So what is Jesus angry at? I believe he is angry at death. And he is staring straight at that tomb that holds his friend Lazarus. And Jesus is angry. He is furious at death. And Jesus knows that he is about to interrupt Lazarus' funeral. And there will be a joy in a celebration. But at the same time, I believe Jesus, being human, he loves his people. He loves Lazarus. He loves you. But also being God, he can look through history. And he is looking through the corridors of time. And he's looking at all kinds of funerals. Funerals that he will not interrupt. He's not going to be able to show up at every single funeral. He can't answer every single prayer of deliverance. Because he's got a greater purpose. But it still grieves him. And you see that he's not looking just at Mary and Martha weeping. I think he sees all of us. And so his third response is going to be an action that only he can do. And every time I read these verses, it gives me chills. It says in verse 39, And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha And the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor because he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Do I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And Jesus brings his beloved back from the death. But in that moment, Jesus is stepping into the ring of death our greatest enemy, because he will not give death the last word. And Jesus turns this funeral of Lazarus into a joy, into a celebration. But Jesus does what only he could do because he is the resurrection and life. And so you see this morning three responses. One, a truth about his deity. One, an emotion from his humanity And then you see an action that only he can do. But I begin by saying there are two words, that are expressions of love that often stand opposed to it. Well, one is I want you to see that Jesus was deeply moved. Embryomos. Anger actually can be a sign or an expression of love, that you can measure love by anger, meaning the more love, the more anger, when what you love is threatened. Meaning if something or someone is threatening someone or something you love, anger's a natural thing. In fact, you want to anger me? You come after my family or you come after this church. And it's because of my love for them and for you. I read a story this week of a father that had to bury his son from a drug overdose. And this father was mourning, but at the same time he was angry. But he wasn't angry at his son. He was angry at the enemy that took his son's life. Do You see, Jesus' love for Lazarus is also for us. And by the anger that we see, it's against our greatest enemy, death. Because Jesus will not allow death to have the last word. But there's another way, another example, expression that we see of love this morning. You see, Jesus knows something. He knows if he raises Lazarus back to life, in that moment he is doing something. Our East Texas expression would be he's poking the bear. Meaning, he is forcing the hand of his enemy. That when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. That Jesus is signing his own death warrant. And he knows it. That to bring Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus is going to have to enter into it. That death is inside this grave saying, listen, if you bring Lazarus out, then I will bury you. And I believe Jesus says, bring it on. That death may scare us. It scared the disciples. But it doesn't frighten Jesus in the least. And so I want you to see this picture that we often don't see of Jesus. Jesus is like a snorting warhorse bellowing with rage, seething with fury, and willing to endure whatever He needs to to show how much He loves you. that Jesus' love is a furious and an enduring love. So I've been thinking, then, man, what does this mean for us? Man, what a great picture. I think for one, we see in this example of the raising of Lazarus that there are all kinds of suffering and trials and things that we have to endure in this life. Man, be honest with your emotions. Know He understands. But know sometimes that if God delays, it's not an act, an emotion where He is lacking love. Nothing happens in our lives that is without purpose. Whether it's sorrow or sickness or even death, nothing happens to us that God does not permit for a reason. Another thing is that God will always respond in the best way for you. Man, for Martha, she needed truth about his deity. Mary, she needed an emotion from his humanity. But all of them needed a powerful action that only he can do, and God will always respond. Respond in the best way. But then I want you to remember the way Jesus responded to his friend's greatest enemy. He responded with anger that threatened the one he loved. And with suffering, Jesus was willing to step into the pain, the humiliation, the betrayal, the loneliness, and even death for Lazarus. But I hope you know that Jesus loves you with that same furious, enduring love. But then I take, we take this to others. That we need to love others with that same furious, enduring love. That we need to be angry at the things that threaten those that around us that we love. And then we need to be willing to step into suffering for other people. Because listen, church, if we love God... And if we love others in the process, there will be suffering. It'll get ugly. It'll get messy. But we get to be a part of the redemptive work of God in each other's lives. And so this morning, I hope you see that Jesus loves with a furious and enduring love. Let's pray. Our Father, we have to end now and... But I pray that you would continue to take these truths and to teach, to comfort, and to strengthen us from this passage. Then when things do not go as planned and when trials and suffering and pain come into our lives, help us to be honest with you about our emotions. And help us to believe that your delays, they're not a lack of love. Help us to believe that everything in our lives has purpose purpose and that you are in control of every detail. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son Jesus to step into death for us. We are grateful that you love us with such a a furious and an enduring love that we do not deserve. Help us to know this truth and to love those around us in the same way. Lord, I ask these things in the name of your son Jesus